It hurts the body if any of the gifts are missing, whether the hand or the eye and so on. Well, today we're still a body. We still need all the members. Presumably, we still need all the gifts. Some in the Western world today say we just need the natural gifts. This idea that, well, we don't need all the gifts, we don't need the supernatural ones, is really undermined by his theology, first of all, because everything is supernatural. All these gifts are empowered by God. But secondly, it's undermined by Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. The folks who would like to say that God told them to tell you something typically also believe in other signs and wonders. In other words, they're continuationists. They believe that God is still speaking outside of the word and God is still doing kaboom, signs and wonders, miracles, miracles, uh, the big stuff, the parting of a sea, raising somebody from the dead. They all had the same intention and they served the same role to give credence to the message of the messenger before the Bible was enshrined in 66 books. Signs and wonders were for the authentication of the message of the messenger. But now that we have the message from God in the Bible, which has power all by itself, it doesn't need big kaboom miracles. It is a two-edged sword that cuts when we simply speak it, preach it to people. That is where the power is found. We don't need the power of miracles. Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, we've been talking out loud the last week or so about cessationism, and that's a big word, but basically it means what? It means that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased after the first century in the Church of Jesus Christ, that they were just for a period of time under the apostles. So why would anyone just believe that, especially when most of the scripture is dealing with, you know, the gifts of the Spirit of 1 Corinthians 12, and of course the the offices or the other gifts in uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where it talks about, you know, the pastor and the teacher and the evangelist and so forth. Why would anyone think that those things cease when they are so instrumental in helping the church to maintain the truth and maintain its presence? Well, plain and simple, I think we've been duped. (laughs) I think the enemy has fooled us, and we've taken out a big chunk of our power, of our authority, of our ability, of the structure of the church. God laid out this master plan of grace, how we would serve one another in grace. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, that every believer has been given a spiritual gift for the edification. That word edification, we think of the word edifice. We're making a building. We're constructing a temple. It's the people of God. And so we have a gift, just like in the Old Testament, God anointed some men to, in the, in the arts and in craftsmanship to create items that were to belong in the tabernacle and then again in the temple, There were gifts that were used to construct. 
And so we have been given gifts for the construction of this edifice. And we've set that aside. And I think we're operating too much in our own power and not enough in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in some ways then, if we dilute the Holy Spirit in our lives, well, then that means that even the pulpit becomes weaker because it's not necessarily speaking with the authority of God. It may be speaking with the authority of an educated person in the pulpit, but not necessarily getting to the soulish issues that the Holy Spirit, you know, gets to when we speak to people about conviction, about repentance, and these kinds of things. I mean, these things have to be God-driven. Absolutely. The pulpit in America is not anointed, by and large. Okay, anointed. I know you and I would know what that means, you know, because we use it a lot. But what does it mean? It means that you have the blessing of the Holy Spirit, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit. To be anointed is to be blessed, is to be prepared, is to be consecrated. Consecrated is a word that we don't necessarily use, but consecration, to be set apart. I was just reading about this yesterday in the book of Leviticus, and we get lost in the details of Leviticus, and people say, well, I don't like Leviticus and numbers, they're boring. There's a lot of rich information in those about how God prepared and set aside the priests for the ministry. There was an anointing, and then we get over to Psalms, and we think about the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it says that it runs down on Aaron's head, on his beard, all the way down on his robe to his feet. Incidentally, funny story, I remember one of my professors at North Central said a couple who were new believers called him over one day to anoint him with oil. And they came out, he had his suit and his tie on with about a gallon of oil. And they poured it right over his head, down onto his suit, into his collar. That's not what we're talking about with anointing oil. We have the opportunity to seek the Holy Spirit. We also don't have the right approach to the Holy Spirit. Whenever I pray in church, I remind people the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He's not an entity. He's not some spirit floating around in the universe. He has a work to do, and he's an equal part of the Trinity. And I think we think we're calling on the work of the Holy Spirit. It really comes out of our prayer life. It really comes out of our communication with God. And it comes out of the idea of holiness. Holiness meaning separation, consecration, meaning separated unto God. When we spend time with the Holy Spirit, we listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us. That's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead, I think a lot of our teaching is shallow. We don't really have a message for the culture. People want us to tell them how they can have a better life now. They want us to tell them how they can be successful in business and they can keep as much of their money as they possibly can. And I don't know that those are even necessarily biblical ideas. But the preacher, when he gets into the pulpit, has to have a message from God. He has to come in there with the confidence that even though the people may not fully receive what I have to say, I know that I have a message from God. Well, and I think that's very, very important. When I sit in church, I want to know that the person speaking to me isn't just giving me a bunch of gibberish or opinions, because those won't go very far. 
You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Walt McFadden. You know, Pastor Walt, what really convicted me of this whole thing that you're talking about was when I was reading John 16. And in John 16, Jesus himself is saying, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will convince you of sin. He will convince you of the righteousness of God, which is himself, Jesus Christ. And he encouraged the fact that there is going to be a day of judgment. So in other words, God is in control of all of this stuff. So if that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't the representation in the pulpit convict us of our sin. It shouldn't be just, oh, everything is great in your best life now, right? I mean, that to me just seems common sense, common spiritual sense that the pulpit should be a place where we are receiving instruction. Our whole lives are built on convictions. We have a conviction, you know, our whole worldview is a conviction. I see the world through this particular lens. And what the Holy Spirit's job is to get us to see the world through God's lens that's a conviction. Take a controversial issue like abortion. Say some Christians think that abortion is okay, but the Bible tells us differently. If we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes and we see, and now we have a new conviction that life is important even in the womb. And we could take many other subjects. There's too much appeasing going on in the church. I just heard something the other day, and I check the scripture to see if it's true, but Isaiah preached naked for three years. Have you ever noticed that in the scripture, well, Isaiah chapter 20? I wasn't aware, or I, I didn't remember it was three years. I know he ran around naked, but I didn't think it was three years, and I thought, whoa. I mean, was naked really naked, or was yeah. naked with a loincloth? No, I think he was naked. I guess I'll have to double check that, but from what I saw, because the idea was that he's going to show, he's going to demonstrate to the Israelites, you're going to leave this nation naked. And then we have Jeremiah, who's thrown into a pit. And then we have Ezekiel, who lays on one side of his body for over a year. And he cooks his food with his dung. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Everybody wants to be a prophet today, right? And that's what gives us a bad name. But really, that idea of prophetic, and and that is one of the big questions, is when somebody delivers a prophetic word, why don't we write it down as scripture? I touched a little bit on that in the last podcast, in part one. But we don't understand what prophetic means. When those guys were preaching, they were saying something specific to the culture. So when the Bible was written, the United States didn't even exist, but God has something to say to the United States. And we can use examples from Scripture. And everything that a person prophesies has to line up with Scripture. But there might be something that God wants to say to a specific person. God may want to say, I'm healing you now. Or he may want to say, it's time for this church to repent, or we need to acknowledge this wrongdoing. And sometimes it's beneficial to have that prophetic word come. So the prophets, most of them, were physically demonstrating in some cases, but through their words, they were saying, Israel, these are the commandments that you were given, and you're not obeying them. Therefore, these are the consequences that you face. Too many times we think of prophetic as being Jesus is going to come in 1988. Was it 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988? And we came out of church one Sunday and there were brochures over every one of our cars as if we didn't know the scripture tells us otherwise. And that's what gives us a bad name. Instead of understanding what the prophetic really is supposed to be, it's a confirmation. Again, it's that idea of conviction. This is what the word says. So that's why we don't write down 
prophetic words today. The prophet, more than anything else, spoke to the current culture. Then Paul uses the example in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says an unbeliever might come in to the church and he might need a word. And so that prophetic word comes and he hears it in a way that is relevant to him in his particular circumstances. And the Bible says that he'll respond and say, I know that God is truly with you. We recently had uh, two gals in our church. They invited their parents to come to church. And the mom and the dad haven't gone to church for years, but the mom said, I'll come to church, but I won't go forward for prayer. And five minutes into the service, she wanted to go forward for prayer. And she had a mass on her brain and God healed her. She went back to the doctor when she got back to her hometown, took a scan, and it was gone. That was a witness of what the scripture tells us. Jesus is alive. Jesus heals. He saves. He delivers. There's a lot to think about when you get healed like that. Well, I agree with you. And I think prophetic is more uh, along the lines of correction too, isn't it? I mean, these prophets went to the leaders of Israel and they brought correction. In fact, Jeremiah, he had a couple words to say to the leaders that they didn't know him. And so you wonder, you know, if preachers are in the pulpit preaching, could that apply even today that a lot of preachers really don't know God? They know a lot about him, but the conviction, as you're saying, the anointing, as you're saying, isn't there. And so the hearts in the congregation or in the pew are not changed. Some people like to talk about the fivefold ministry. I don't necessarily like that framework. I just think the church has given us these various offices, but the purpose of the offices is to train the saints to do the work of the ministry. And again, back to the idea of us all contributing and building this house of worship to the Lord. And we take a person like a prophet or the latest is apostle. I think the apostles are missionaries. And we hear of missionaries that go into places where the gospel has never been preached. And they have lots of demonstrations of the power of the Holy Spirit, of healings, of demons being cast out. And along with that, I think there's a sort of an arrogance in the American church. Well, we don't have demon possession. We don't, we have such great medical care. There's an idea that we're sort of better than, we don't need this. We don't have these things. And I've talked to many pastors and they're frustrated because they say, why do these people deal with these things for 20, 30, 40 years in the church? Brother Nichols from North Central, he is heart of the father ministry. I talked to him recently and he said he was preaching in a church in Michigan and a woman came forward for prayer. It's about 250 people in the church. And she fell on the ground and she started to slither around like a snake. And he was really embarrassed by it. He thought, wow, what, what am I going to do? I got to get this woman under control. And he prayed over her and he commanded to the demon, you have no right. You have to stop doing this. You can't have control. And then the woman went limp and she got up and he thought, well, now I got to go back to the table and try to sell my books. And these people are going to come through here and they're going to give me a piece of their mind. And he said, person after person said, that was the most incredible thing that we've seen in our church because that woman has been struggling in our church for 30 years. And we saw her get free today. And people aren't getting free. And we're not saying to the people in the pew, in the chairs, you have that same power. You have power over demons. You have power to heal. And so I encourage in my church oftentimes, who has the gift of healing here? Come forward and pray for people to be healed. 
Who has a prophetic word? Come forward and bring that. And we don't have chaos in our church. People think, well, it's going to lead to chaos and it's going to lead to false words. I don't think I've heard a word yet that I thought, this isn't from the Lord. This isn't something that we need to hear. And if there was, we can address it. And we don't have to embarrass people. We can turn it into a teachable moment. Well, I do think there's the word accountability. And uh, recently in the Chicago area, there were several very prominent preachers that got into trouble. They were removed from their churches, but it went on for years Pastor Walt, years and years people knew about it, but they were afraid to attach any kind of stigma to their superstar preacher. But I think accountability is very important between the preacher and the pew. And the preacher isn't better than the pew. And the pew isn't better than the preacher. It's a partnership. And they together, they bring an accountability to things that are spoken or things that are done. And when a preacher gets so powerful that everyone's afraid to say, well, pastor, I don't know if that's biblical or not. This is the issue. We have to find that accountability, that balance, so that, as you say, the, the people in the pew have the gifts. God's given it to his body, not the pastor only, but to the body as well. And we like that. We like that. We want that guy up there. He's clean. He looks good. He speaks eloquently. And the church is growing. So then we can abdicate our responsibility. We can just go on with our lives and we can come here every Sunday. And how is that working out for us in the American church? Rapid decline. We need a re-engagement of the body of Christ in ministry. And it'll happen when we teach and help people to recognize you don't just have this spiritual gift to earn a title. You have this spiritual gift to minister to one another. I go back to the root of what we call ourselves at City View Church. We are a charismatic church. The root word is charis. It is grace. They are gifts of grace. That's the whole foundation of how the church should operate, is that I serve you, others in the body of Christ. I'm not supposed to get undue attention. I'm not supposed to be the focus of the ministry. Jesus is supposed to be the focus of the ministry. We also forget, and I tell people often, I have no power outside of Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me who will anoint you with the Holy Spirit and power. Where is the power in the church today? Why are people coming and they're sitting in our churches week after week and they're not being convicted of their sin? I think all of us would acknowledge that the church in America isn't exactly holy. We're carnal, we're materialistic, we're self-centered, we want security, we want safety, we don't want to take any risks, we don't certainly want to be inconvenienced anybody in any way, shape, or form. So do you think, Pastor Walt, that some pastors are intimidated by the fact that they're giving too much power away or too much credibility to the pew, and that may jeopardize his job or his authority or his teaching in some way. I I don't know. I often have wondered, maybe some pastors are too insecure to even do what you're suggesting. I'm sure that's the case. And also, some people are going to leave. Some people are going to say, we don't want this. At my brother-in-law's former church, he overheard one of the leaders of the church said, if we start repeating choruses, I'm out of here. You know, what a foolish reason to leave a church. We fight the work of the Holy Spirit. That's where we've come in so many churches. So there's a risk that people are going to leave. There's the risk that somebody's going to say something awkward 
And of course, the enemy is going to try to do that right away. He's going to send somebody into your church. He's going to cause trouble. He's going to cause problems. I've seen the beautiful work of leadership in the church where somebody comes in and they start talking crazy stuff, you know, the 666 and the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast and, you know, that stuff is scriptural, but they do it in a way to get attention to themselves. And I've seen pastors address them right right there in the service in front of hundreds of people. I don't receive that word. We have to be strong enough to say, I don't receive that word. I don't believe that word is from the Holy Spirit. And you can do it in love, and it's a teachable moment. And that person will probably just leave, and they'll just go try to find some other church where they can get attention. I say to people, how do you know that you have a word from God? There'll be apprehension, like, oh, I I feel like I really have to give this, but I'm too shy, I'm, I'm too quiet. I just don't know if, and I say, if there's a little bit of apprehension, I bet you probably do have a word from God, as opposed to a person who's just always trying. It's like people who wake up in the morning. I woke up in the morning and God said to eat Cheerios instead of cornflakes. And so I ate cornflakes. And then the next thing, uh, God said to borrow your wife's car instead of driving your own car. And I think God doesn't speak to me like that on a daily basis. He gave me a brain for a reason. There have been, I don't know, maybe over the course of 30 years, maybe 30 times that I have clearly heard God speak on a Sunday morning. This is exactly what you are supposed to do. I don't claim to be a prophet, but I get some prophetic words. So that's why pastors are afraid of the consequences. They like things the way they are. You know, I'm drawing a nice salary here. I'm five years away from retirement. Why ruffle feathers? That's not the work of God. So, Pastor Walt, as you're saying today, you focus on the Holy Spirit and the anointing because he hasn't quit any of his gifts. He hasn't taken back any of his gifts, as some people teach. So how do we move forward at engaging the Holy Spirit in our lives in a way that we become proactive in the church ministry and we can see some of the gifts in operation or in manifestation of healings and miracles and all these things that that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12? How do we get there? Of course, it has to begin with the pastor, but then the pastor has to begin to teach the leadership of the church. So our church has an elder board, and I don't know that all of our elders were 100% on board with this direction, but through discussion, through teaching, through those teachable moments that we call them in the church when maybe something doesn't exactly happen the way we want it to happen, we talk about those and we work through them. We teach in our small groups. We share our personal experiences. And one Sunday I just said, you know, some people are afraid of speaking in tongues. Now, every person in the church who's had an experience where you have spoken in tongues, raise your hands. Now, keep your hands up. Now, everybody look around. That person sitting next to you speaks in tongues, and you've been friends with them for a long time, and you didn't know that. So now you know, and now you're okay with it, right? You Now you can calm down because the church isn't going to burn down because somebody is speaking in tongues. But we just get so freaked out about that. Or somebody says, if somebody speaks in tongues, there has to be an interpretation. If it's given publicly, yes. But it says the person who speaks in tongues edifies himself. So it has to begin with the leadership. The leadership has to get on board. Some people might have to find another church, plain and simple, if that's what you desire and that's what you want. But be respectful and be encouraging and try to talk to your pastor or pastors who are listening 
talk to your board and say, hey, are we being stubborn? Are we missing something here? Are we missing out on something that could really be a blessing in the church? Let me end with this. God never blesses anything done out of fear. He only blesses what is done out of faith. And if the only reason that we're avoiding the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church is because we're afraid, we're missing out on the blessing of God. Well, once again, Pastor Walt, it's been great to hear your thoughts on Thinking Out Loud, and we hope that uh, our audience will return next time as you begin to think out loud. We're a church that believes in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to do whatever He pleases, including all the gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. There's no theology that says God can't, won't, shouldn't give anybody a gift of faith, a gift of miracles, a gift of healing, a gift of tongues, a gift of wisdom, a gift of knowledge. There's nothing in this church that says, ooh, don't go there. People go crazy if they go there. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.